Welcome to Politics and Prose, the podcast focused on people and politics. Gail Dudley, the audacious advocate, is an author and activist committed to evoking an awakening that compels people and communities to move beyond the status quo. Gail has created a platform to introduce fresh voices through interviewing guests who are relevant to everyday life. Politics and Prose will also share aggregated political data and present it in a way that takes communities from being informed to taking action. New episodes air on Fridays. Make sure to follow Gail on Instagram, Twitter, and post.news at Gail Dudley. And subscribe to her YouTube, www.youtube.com slash Gail Dudley. Tune in to be informed and make sure to subscribe to Politics and Prose wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Now let's get into it. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Gail Dudley, the audacious advocate, author, and activist committed to in introducing you to fresh voices through interviewing guests who are relevant to everyday life. I want to thank you all, our audience, for joining us today as we speak to the topic, caring for our loved ones, and we're going to really dive into skilled nursing facilities and assistant living. If you have to give a title for today's podcast, we're going to call it Beyond the Horizon, Enriching the Lives of Seniors Through Care. I'm so excited to introduce to all of you, maybe she's not new to some of you, but her name is Pat Williams. I actually found her, um, as many of you know, I've been working with my siblings and my father when it comes to my mom, and many of you have been sending in your your notes of love and encouragement all around the U.S., so I'm so grateful for that. But Pat is one of those individuals who I've reached out to. We've connected through email. She's encouraged me. She's given me some suggestions, and now she's in my Rolodex for life. Uh, Pat was raised in a small town in northern Ohio, and she graduated from a class at Vermilion High School of under 200, y'all, who helped to develop the small town values that have helped her to understand the motto to seek and to understand. She started out at Akron University in nursing school and then transferred to Bowling Green State University with a bachelor's in uh, genitology. I hope I am saying that correct, Pat. Did I jack that up or is that right? Gerontology. Gerontology. Okay. Um, It was during a job at the age of 18 in oncology in the hospital setting where she found her calling working with seniors. So y'all, all of her bio is going to be in the show notes as you are well aware and accustomed to, but I wanna read this piece of it. She goes on in her bio to say, of course my story would not be complete without sharing my initial upbringing with my grandparents who instilled in me the values and work ethic that I embrace today. Being Being the oldest grandchild, it was the expectation At an early age, you would be involved in the farm. Uh, She says her great-grandmother lived with her grandparents and had Alzheimer's. She spoke only Dutch, but there was never a communication issue as they always knew what her needs were. She goes on to say, my grandmother also had Alzheimer's and I was very involved in finding the right community for us. She's also very passionate 
um, and have a knowledge and understanding of the elderly to Oasis and look forward to working in this chapter of her life and in her career. Um, I need to pull this out as well. In October 2018, her husband's disease necessitated her to be home um, to be able to care for him. She was a caregiver for him until his passing in 2020, but worked for Oasis Senior Advisors from 2018 now to the present. Um, and that's how I connected with her. So she goes on and say, um, this certainly gave me the insight to see how families struggle with handling the stress of navigating as a caregiver and to find the resources. So Pat, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. And I want to jump in if you're okay with all of that. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask a personal question because reading your bio really intrigued me and also gave me this pause of, I see why you do what you do. And so my question is this, what inspired you to pursue a career in working with seniors and the elderly? And was there a specific moment or experience that solidified your calling? I think it's twofold. I think the first part of that would absolutely be the influence of my grandparents and being a part of the family. My father was a family of eight and family was everything and was really important. And so gatherings were huge because of all the kids and then the grandkids and things kept going. Um, so that that sense of family and that sense of family still continues. My father's 92 and his brothers and sisters, they've only lost one. Um, my grandparents for certain were just huge. Um, you know, we didn't think there was anything wrong with going and helping on the farm and doing all the chores, which were really pretty hard work for kids at a very young age. We started and continued through our teens and then I think when I got out of school and my first job was in oncology, um, trying to help support individuals coming for radiation therapy and mm -hmm. chemotherapy and just struggling, especially not maybe having an advocate for themselves, um, not having family with them. We had a lot of people from the veterans home in Sandusky at our community and that made it really tough because they needed somebody to be there holding their hand and tell them things were going to be okay. And um, that made me at that point say, this is my career for life with, with seniors. I love, I love it. I'm, I'm so glad you decided to do that. Me too. Uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of years, Gail. <laughs> Well, one, one reason I, I love it is that, again, our connection, how I found you just Googling, like somebody help me. Then I think someone gave me your name and number at some point. Um, and just sharing that, there's so many people, and, and I'm seeing this even with my own my own parents, they're, they're unsure about 
skilled nursing facilities or assistant living communities and if it's for them or not. So if you can speak to what are some of the key differences, because I don't believe people understand there are differences here between skilled nursing facilities and, and assistant living communities and how can families determine which type of care setting is best suited for their loved one's needs. And I, and I asked that question because I love, I can actually picture as you were speaking, the farm and, and the family gathering and everyone helping and, and you really finding, okay, this is, this is my calling. This is what I'm going to do. So many people, I think, prefer to stay at home to what they're familiar with and used to, but that may not be the best for them. So can you speak to that, please? Sure. So if we're talking about skilled nursing versus assisted living, I put skilled nursing and long-term care into the same type of category, um, although they're a little bit different. Skilled is going to be predominantly for situations of individuals needing rehab. So uh, after a three-day hospitalization, they could possibly qualify, and they're going to go for rehab, you know, especially joint replacements, cardiac surgeries, things of that sort, um, where they need to rehab to get back where they were prior to, or at least to the best they can possibly be. Long-term care, on the other hand, is an avenue for, and, and this is where it gets tricky, a lot of people in long-term care are there because possibly they can't afford to be anywhere else. So we have a Medicaid option in our long-term care communities. We also have that in assisted living if the community has is choosing to participate in that program. But in assisted living, there's most of the time there's going to be a private pay period. So with skilled, your insurance is going to cover it up until the point they won't. And that usually is decided by therapy and how well you've done. And once you plateau, basically, that's probably the end of that. Um, truly, the things that have to be handled in a, in a long-term care versus an assisted living are, are small amounts of things. If you're on an IV, a continuous IV for antibiotics, um, feeding tubes, for the most part, um, would necessitate. And then, you know, decubiti, which are bed sores, um, depending on the staging of those, it might be a little different. Um, it's hard sometimes the physician is really the main person who kind of helps the wheels starting with where they may need to go. But a lot of times even the physicians don't know the services that all of the places provide. For instance, you can have an assisted living license and you can provide maybe a very high acuity of care, and yet there are other assisted living communities that do a very light level of care. 
So how does the average person figure all of that out? I would say my best recommendation is get an advisor to be able to really know, because if it's a good advisor, they're basically boots on the ground and people that are out there and know what levels of care can be handled where. So, okay, this is good. So talking about this, would one have to pay for an advisor? Well, that's another very interesting thing because there are some advisors who charge and there's other advisors who are a free service. I would say the vast majority are a free service. And you might say, well, if the if the person charges, does that make them a better advisor? And I would say not necessarily. I think the most important thing when you are selecting an advisor is to to ask about their background. What have they done? Um, you know, what is their educational background? Where have they worked? What th- those are really, really important questions. Um, other things that I think are important for families to know are, are they going to help you to find the most independent setting you can find for that individual where they can live safely with services and within the resources that they have? So that could mean helping someone to find those services that are necessitated and keeping them in their home if you can do it safely. And a lot of a lot of advisors are not going to do that. Can I ask why not? Because a lot of advisors are in what we are called placement companies. And so a placement company is a little bit different from a transition company. A transition company, we do some of the same things, and that would be placements in communities. But the difference is trying to find the most independent place for that person that they can stay in with resources safely. And we don't get paid to do that as an advisor. There's no, as if we're not charging a fee. And at Oasis, we do not charge a fee. So you end up doing a lot of work that you may not necessarily get paid for. But in the reality of it, I always look at it as I feel like those are the people that are going to spread the word about me more to their friends and families and gain me more business. And certainly we do fine with the business that we have. We have plenty of business. So I think if you take care of people for the right reasons, business follows. And I can attest to that. I've given your name to probably 30, 40 people in the past three months. (laughs) And thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. I, your, your name's on top. I oh, got to call Pat Williams at, o, at Oasis. You got to contact Pat Williams at Oasis. That's what I've been doing. So as an expert, because I do look at you as an expert, I mean, you've given me some valuable information um, in both your executive leadership and caregiving roles within senior care communities. 
what advice do you have for families on how to evaluate and choose the right facility for their loved ones? Um, and what factors should they consider? For example, when my mom having a wound on her leg, um, when they were preparing her to go to a skilled nursing facility, they gave us like 28 different places. Correct. And just to go by, you know, to go through and see. And we ended up looking more so as how quickly, you know, what's the surrounding of the family? How can we get our father there to visit her since he no longer drives? All of that. Um, but how how do we evaluate and choose the right facility? Um, and what factors should one consider? Well, a couple of things that I always feel are important is look at reviews. Google that community and look at the reviews. You're going to see the Google reviews right on there. Now, I'm not a person who believes just in Google reviews because you can have some people who, especially employees of a community that are very dissatisfied and they may write 10 Google reviews, but you can see that on there if it's the same person. Right. So you can't allow a couple of disgruntled employees to truly make that decision for you. There is a, um, you can go on the Ohio Department of Health um, dot org website to be able to look up a community and see what their rating is with the Ohio Department of Health. That doesn't really tell you as much about the community itself because they're really, they're looking at many, many different factors, but it can give you a general idea. Um, things that families need to think about is geographical location is really, really important. But if it's a community that has really bad ratings and it's next door to you, it still may not be the best fit for. So you've got to look at the clinical needs of that individual first off and foremost. What do they need. And that's going through a very, very long list. Um, social workers often um, will say, you know, the person cannot go home without 24-7 supervision, which means they've got to be in a place where people are going to be around all the time to be able to handle those needs or somebody living in the home with that. Um, mm -hmm. Social needs, super important. Does the person like a smaller community versus a large or medium-sized community? Um, and what kinds of activities do they do there, especially if it's a long-term situation, because that becomes their home. And mm. meals, meals are very important. When it's your home and you don't like the food, you're probably not going to eat and probably not going to get healthier. Um, but many other amenities go into it. You know, do they have transportation out for doctor's appointments? Do they have physicians that round there? Um, you know, who's doing, who's doing what particular services and amenities? Do they have chaplains that can help with the spiritual needs? Do they have services there's so many things that come into play 
I will tell you, if you have a good advisor, they'll go through all of those things to see what's important for that individual and then look for those specific things to help determine what's going to be. And obviously, we, we have to look at the financial picture as well. You know, what are the resources? And a good advisor is going to be able to help you to find resources as well. Yeah. And speaking of resources, I'm thinking more so financial resources. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that look like for someone who may see that bill or make some assumptions and then they determine I can't afford this, so I'm not even going to ask questions because the other side of it is is that they're embarrassed to even talk about the financial side. How would you help navigate a family through that? Well, things that we would ask are, was, was the person who was afflicted, were they a veteran or a widow of a veteran? Because there may be some services available through the VA, through aid and attendance and other programs. Um, We're going to look at things like, you know, what are their financial resources? Um, You know, what are the bills that they have to continue to pay? Did they have any life insurance and do they have cash values that might be able to be used for um, that type of care? Mm -hmm. In looking at assisted livings in particular, we would look at, um, is there a Medicaid waiver in that community? Do they offer that for assisted living and or memory care? Um, Those are just a couple of the things, you know, that that we're going to look at. We also, if we're trying to keep them in their home, we're going to look at community resources. Are they entitled to um, any of the community resources through COAAA and SourcePoint, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of community resources out there that could be utilized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And people don't know about all of those programs. So that's where if you've got a good advisor, they do know about those programs and they're going to help you look at those as well. Yeah. Cause you know, um, I'm very transparent on here and my family know that I have these conversations on the podcast and they give me permission because it, we realize it's, it has helped us. So we're now helping other people through some of what I do. And with that, you know, one of my questions, I'm going to change it around a little bit, but you know, like what are some of the common challenges that people might encounter and how best can they prepare themselves to handle these challenges? For example, um, my parents owning their home, so they're on Medicare, not Medicaid. Um, then in addition to that, you have to keep going through these appeal processes. And if you are denied, then all of a sudden within, I think, 48 hours, you're out, you know, and there's so much. And then we're wondering, where do we go to next? So how can we, I don't know, how can people get beyond some of these because it's very frustrating and and you said something that's so important that's what i'm telling all of you listeners go get you an invite get you an advisor you have to do that 
because there's there's programs out there that we have no idea if they're even available. Um, we're not sure of what type of resources are available based upon what type of insurance or your um, the income level that may be or, or what assets you have and you can put your hands on. And then I'm going to muddy the water just a little bit, Pat, and I'm sure you experienced <laughs> this as well. But in some communities, and I'll speak for my own, African-American communities, especially our older parents, um, and if, if you're still fortunate to have grandparents alive, they don't want to share a lot of them. They're very private people. So we've been getting information such as where, how do I get your bank statements? Can you share your bank statements with me? Can you share your insurance with me? Can you share this, that, and the other? It's sometimes the most difficult thing to do because they're that private. How do we bust through some of those barriers and what are some of those co uh, common challenges? Well, I think it starts with ensuring that a, everybody needs what's called a power of attorney. I don't care who you are. Something could happen tomorrow where you could be incapacitated and not able to make your needs known and able to make your own decisions. And it's a step that gets missed so frequently. And that to me is so important, but it's also important to get the right type of power of attorneys. From um, my standpoint, with my husband, I thought I had the right type of POA. Unfortunately, in the end, it, it served me well for the most part, but with some financial institutions, they did not recognize it. And I didn't realize that in 2018, things had changed with POAs. The language had changed and the one that I had, unfortunately, was um, the language wasn't what one financial institution needed it to be. And so I ended up having to, to probate one account. But, you know, in the scheme of things, it wasn't the end of the world, okay? But had I had the right financial POA, and then you also want to have that medical POA, the hard part, Gail, and, and you said, is the trust factor. You have to be able to trust that person that you're giving that POA to with your life. And so picking that person should be a very personalized choice to figure out who's going to best serve in that role. And that would be to make your, your decisions for you based on how they know you and know how you would want those decisions to be made should yeah. you not be able to make them. Um, other things, you know, we, we need to look a little bit more at our family history because sometimes that predicts, and I say sometimes, predicts what may be coming in the future. So for instance, if your grandparents did have a a dementia diagnosis, that could possibly be something and an area that you may be going to and planning for that. You know, I think about how we plan um, with our homes and our cars with insurance right. and we don't do the same for ourselves. Yeah. So 
there are so many products out there, especially in the long-term care industry, in the insurance industry, that um, are, are better than what we've ever had possibly in the past that can help look at long-term care finances mm -hmm. and solutions for the future. And if you don't use it, there's a hybrid policy out there that you can get that becomes a life insurance policy. So if you do not use your long-term care insurance, you still, you're not out because it's that, that money will go to your heirs when you pass. So it's something I suggest to clients all the time to at least take a peek at. Okay. Um, also, if there are two, uh, a husband and wife per se, and one is the sicker of the two to set things up to allow that other person to have more financial success. You know, yeah. we can never predict when the Lord's going to take us. <laughs> but in some cases, we can probably look at somebody having a disease process that's probably going to take one before the other. And that's the biggest mistake that I see is the planning hasn't happened with an elder care attorney to ensure that we've got everything in order. And for each person, that's going to look a little bit differently. Um, so I do suggest to my clients to sit down with an elder care attorney mm -hmm. and look through those things. And again, find the right because they're not all alike. But yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Let me cut you off. You said they're not all alike. You were going to say something else. They're just, you know, not everybody does their business the same way. So, you know, knowing ones that possibly you've known somebody else who used them and had a very positive experience, that's that's what I suggest. And, and investigating those people yeah. and shopping it, shopping it, because, you know, a POA, the charge to do one isn't the same in every legal arena. Yeah, I think so many people, first of all, this is some valuable information, absolutely valuable. So thank you for sharing it. Um, I think so many people, I think we wait. I, I was guilty with my parents. I think we wait until something happens and then we find ourselves rushing, trying to put all the puzzle pieces together and we find ourselves frustrated. So one yep. thing that I've been um, sharing with my siblings is that I'm going to practice self-care and I'm going to protect my peace so that I'm not um, overwhelmed or run down or burned out or anything like that. So I can continue this process. But at the same time, um, even listening to you again, great information, man, caregiving for loved one, whether they're elderly or a younger person that needs this uh, to have this care can be emotionally and physically demanding. So if I can ask you, based on your experience as a caregiver and your professional experience, so your, your individual, you know, as you were caring for your loved ones and now in the professional seat, what are some effective strategies um, for managing our stress and preventing burnout? Please help us. <laughs> well, I think you have to realize that it, you know, when they say it takes a village to raise a child. I say it takes a village to help 
our loved ones through debilitating illnesses. So surrounding yourself with people and not being afraid to ask for their support and being very specific about what you need. Um, I think most of your friends want to be able to help, but if people don't ask, they have no clue as to what you may need. Um, and then, you know, the, the saying of putting your oxygen mask on first so that you can help and support your loved one is so important. And so for everybody, that might mean a little different scenario. Um, it might be getting out to get that massage once a month. It might be going out with your girlfriends once a month and having someone else come and stay with that loved one and and, you know, watch a movie or do something fun with them. But getting that caregiver out of the caregiving situation, because it can be so emotionally and physically draining, you've got to look at support systems. Another thing that I really like are respite stays. Um, okay. You know, sometimes we just need a break and... You know, maybe it might be for a special occasion to go out of state to a wedding or things of that sort. But there are programs um, through um, the Franklin County Office on Aging for they've had in the past some respite grants that if you purchase so many days, they will step up to the plate if you qualify for additional respite stays. Those are great programs to take advantage of if if the grant is still there, if the monies are still there. And sometimes they go away, but those are things that you got to look at, you know, and ensuring that you're getting what you need as a caregiver. Right. And not just draining yourself because then you'll have nothing else to give. If you have siblings, including them in on, on the strategy. I know when we kept my grandmother home for as long as we did, we divided and conquered. My aunt was an RN living in the house with my grandmother, but you know, it got too much for her. So we all signed up for our days that we would go and spend the night and stay with her for a few days to take the burden off that other person. And I think sometimes as a caregiver, you want to be stoic and say, oh, it's okay. I can do it. I can do it. But really you've got to be thinking outside of the box and finding the time to do the things that are special for you as well. Yeah. And and for those of you who are listening, she mentioned um, Franklin County Center of Aging. Um, but just go to your state as well or your city to find out what county service that um, cause we all need that. So Pat, you mentioned something, um, that I want to, want you to speak to this too. What about this custodial care, um, that may or may not be available once a person leaves a skilled nursing facility just to help out in a home? Is that readily available to everyone or does it depend upon one's insurance? It's well, it's going to, if somebody is leaving skilled nursing and going home, depending on the insurance, they usually are going to qualify for some home health programs that will come into play. And that could be PT, OT, speech therapy, nursing, aid care. The, the only thing is that is a very short-lived program. 
Um, it's dictated by what your insurance will cover, and each insurance is a little bit different. Okay. But it, it's a valuable program. The problem is you can't count on, you know, they aren't going to be able to tell you, I'm going to be here specifically at maybe nine o'clock tomorrow morning because they can't always predict when other people may have a higher need. And so the time frames become very different. So it's, it's hard to set it up, let's just say, with home care. Okay. Home care would be what you're paying for privately to come in and help out as well. Okay. So um, there's many, many programs, you know, and it's, and many of the programs that are out there through the county are going to depend on your financial situation. Most of them do go by income, um, but there are programs that can help to keep someone in their home for as long as you can. Okay. But it's not going to be 24-7. You're not going to get that kind of support. So that's why you have to look at all kinds of different avenues to say, okay, can we do this realistically and financially? If that's what the, the actual person wants. And let's face it, most of our seniors would like to stay in their own homes for as long as they possibly can. True, true. It is what's familiar to them. Sure, sure. So, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. It's home. Yeah, yeah. So I know we talked about finances, financials uh, just a little bit here. Um, let's say someone chooses to go the private route. Okay. Are they looking at, if they're looking for even eight hours a day, are they looking at something like five grand or more a month? Or is it really hard to pinpoint that so that people even have an understanding that may not be the option for you? Um, and then what yeah. does one look for when it comes to private care? Okay, certainly. So again, if we're looking at, I would say, the average rate for private care is anywhere, it's probably between $30 and $32 an hour. So if we're talking $32 an hour, an eight-hour day, $256 a day times 30 days is $7,680. And that's only for an eight-hour day. There are some home care agencies that also have nursing services that can come as well. And then for most of those, it's about $100 a visit from that nurse. So you add that on top of it. So financially, it can be very draining very quickly to try to keep someone at home, especially as their needs change and they need more and more care. Yeah. Um. It then becomes, you know, the community level that's going to be certainly the more economical yeah. choice to go. You know, Again, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. What's interesting is that this conversation we're having right now, most people never even think about it until it happens. And I'm sitting here thinking, Absolutely. should this not be a high school curriculum? Like, 
This should be a conversation <laughs> that is talked about so that you can prepare. You know, we're talking about preparing for investments and your 401k or your 403b or whatever. But are we sitting back saying, you know, you also need to start a savings for if this happens, if there's a disability or something all of a sudden that happens to you and you're going to need this type of care, um, it costs because insurance may not cover the entire thing. You may still be left with a bill. And Absolutely. I don't think people rec- even let's be honest, um, ambulance bills. Yes. Some of those like I'm like, do what? You only went like three miles, not even three miles down the street. But it cost that. Or even thinking of, okay, well, they send two people. So now that bill is really doubled because they looked at the person's weight and how many steps are going into the house and so forth and so on. So they send more people without you knowing, and that bill doubles. And it's like, yep. wow, how quickly things will change. Let's talk about insurance depends and um, vitamins or medication or whatnot, all of that begins to add up. So I'm just sitting here thinking there needs to be a curriculum in high school to talk about some of these things. Because we, I don't think this is on the forefront of anyone's mind. Have you ever had someone, so here's my question, have you ever had someone show up to you saying, hey, I've been prepared for this for 20 years, so here's everything I need. Help me, Pat. Has that ever happened? Well, I do have people who have done the long-term care insurance route, knowing possibly that in their background, there were some disease processes that could have been handed down to them. So they chose to go that route. And I applaud those individuals because they don't have to worry about finding the best possible solutions because that also, most of those policies cover home care, in the home, Mm -hmm. um, assisted living, memory care, some independent living as well. So, you know, a lot of those people, but not enough people have looked at that. And in some circumstances, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to do it because it can be a very expensive product. I just say, it's good to sit down with somebody and look at what's out there now because there's so many new kind of policies. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're making my head spin, but it's all in a great way. (laughs) I'm sitting here just thinking. So here's a, here's, I have a couple more questions for you before we sign off. And this one I'm sitting here, I've been debating if I'm going to ask you this question or not, but I am going to ask you, I think I'm, I think I'm safe enough to ask you this question. You have been a wealth of knowledge for me. And there's some things that I do in advocacy and activism and so forth and so on. But I went searching for someone to help me. And I do not see a lot of African-American advocates in this field. Is there a reason why? Because there seems to be a greater, I won't say a greater need, It seems to be when a person is faced with this from from an African-American community um, perspective, um, they have no one to turn to Um, or they have no they don't know where to turn. Let me say that. But again, I was grateful to be um, connected to you. And I'm like, well, what do other people do? Like, how, how do they navigate this on their own? I don't think they can. 
So do you have any insight to why there's there appears to be a lack of, um, of African-American advocates or why that's not an immediate choice or, or career path? Can you speak to that at all? I think it's kind of changed because I'm seeing more African-Americans getting involved in that okay um as as um advisors um i definitely see that changing and even in the communities more sales reps that are african americans okay. you know i think so many people just think of the healthcare industry in particular as being such a difficult workload you know I mean, I wasn't always an advisor and I was an executive director for a number of years running communities, which is a very hard job, a very hard job, both physically and emotionally. And you give up a part of yourself to make those communities run the way they run. And so I think a lot of times, you know, it's why individuals maybe don't become firefighters or police officers, because you really are giving a huge part of your your whole soul in those kinds of fields. And, um, you know, sometimes people just don't want to don't want to give that up. It's a lot. Yeah. Like I, I've been intentional with as I learn, even, you know, when my mom's out of skill, um, a skilled nursing facility, as I hear something from the social worker or nursing staff or aides or medical records department or executive, whomever, I'm jotting down notes and I'm keeping some notes. And if someone has a question, I'm like, hey, here, no sense of reinventing the wheel. This is what was shared with me um, while I was at this particular facility, just trying to help people out. Um, And what's interesting, I'm finding that I have this passion for this, which is very strange um, because it's like, I don't want anyone to, to end up where where myself and my siblings have ended up. Um, where right. We're just, you know, in the middle of it, just trying to figure out answers. And that 24 hours is gone and we're to, on to the next day. So how can senior how can a senior advisor help through the navigation and what specifically should one look for when picking an advisor? Should they pick based on their resume, their vita, their demographic? Or whatnot. I just want everybody to find Pat Williams, but anyway, I'm just one person. <laughs> um, I think you know, ask the advisor how they how they handle their caseloads. You know, would they be able? I mean, do it just as an interview situation because mm-hmm. one person isn't the all for, for everybody, you know, personalities do come into play. A good advisor is going to listen more than they talk and ask questions specific to what's important to that particular senior. What's going to be the most important things and um, work through that list to try to find the best solutions and it, it's not just one solution. So right. they're not going to come back with you with one place or one solution. They're going to say, this could be plan A. This could be plan B. This could be plan C. And then setting up those tours to go and look at those places or 
setting up um, people to come in if we're doing home care in the home and interviewing those people to ensure that that's going to be the right fit. Those are important things to do because, you know, it's just like when you hire a financial advisor, do you just go with anybody? I would say you probably want to make sure that, you know, you can also ask them, can you share previous clients that have used you? Can you, can, can I, could I reach out to one of those just to see? Um, but but specifically, too, what's their background? That's really just as important. Are they certified? You know, um, there's a certification that's offered through, um, it's called CSA, and it's Certified Senior Advisors. And it's, you know, actually a certification that you go through and take. And I know at Oasis, that's really important for us. We want all of our advisors to be certified because we feel it gives them more knowledge to do the things the right way in our field. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Before I ask you about your book, since we are Politics and Pros podcast, just another question that came to me, and I know we're over time, but we're wrapping this up in three minutes, people. Um, do you suggest therapy for caregivers, especially the the one that's with that person the most? And when you say therapy, are you talking psychological like someone therapy? someone to talk to, a social worker, a licensed social worker, a, a counselor, a therapist. Absolutely. And, a, and even a support group. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and support groups have those individuals. Um and but then you get the added bonus of having people that are in the same shoes you are in. So in most of those support groups, you exchange phone numbers with other people. And when you're having a really bad day, you can reach out. I was in, I still am in a support group <laughs> for okay. caregivers. And those people mean the world to me because, you know, I knew that I could reach out to them with anything. Anytime. And I think that's really important that, you know, people know there are tons and tons of caregiver support groups for pretty much every disease process out there. Um, And getting into the right one is is very important. But also, you know, certainly you could have a social worker, an advisor, another individual helping you with the emotional needs of what caregiving is all about. Yeah, because I know even with myself and my siblings, like it's easy for us to vent with one another. But sometimes I wonder if that's even the most healthiest thing to do, or should we be sitting down talking with someone who's not in direct link to us? So I just wonder that. You know, I think it's what you're most comfortable with. If you feel like you have gotten to the point where you're accepting of that caregiving role and not frustrated all of the time and it's working with your siblings, so be it. But if it's not, then, then absolutely seeking, you know, someone who can help you with that journey. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there who are saying, you know, they vent, but they still are frustrated. And and I just wonder sometimes, should they go see someone or that Absolutely. person who's living directly with that person 24-7, you know, their outlet to go and speak with someone. So 
what book are you currently reading? You know, this is Politics and Prose Podcast. Um, who's the author and why that particular book this season? Well, I think this book is a great book, and this is a colleague of mine, and it's called Summit, A Guide from Pain to Peace. Mm. It is by Cindy Page, who is an Oasis senior advisor as well, and my colleague. Um, I have found it to be just one of the best books for a caregiver. It takes you through the journey of caregiving and how you can rely on other people and what you can do to make it through that whole process. When her book first came out was um, basically when my husband had gotten really bad and I didn't have the time to read it right then and there, but afterwards I read it and I was like, this, she wrote this for me. <laughs> wow. It's wonderful. It's really a great book. Good. And if, if you all didn't catch it, no problem. The information is going to be in the show notes. So no problem if you did not catch it. So before, you know, again, thank you, thank you, thank you um, for spending this time with us. This has been great information. If people want to reach out and connect with you, how can they go about doing so? Okay. I'm going to give um, my cell phone number, which is, and again, it's Pat Williams. 614-353-1193. And I am glad to talk with just about anyone. I love it. I love it. I love it. I want to extend a, a heartfelt thank you to our wonderful guest, Pat Williams, for sharing her invaluable expertise and insights on senior care community, skilled nursing facilities, and assistant living, and just how to be an advocate and be passionate. And she is a very compassionate person. Um, past guidance on how families can choose the right care setting for their loved ones, the common challenges they might face, and effective strategies for managing caregiving stress has been truly enlightening. Y'all, I want all of y'all to remember this. Please, listeners, remember this. I know you're listening as we live. That's, again, coined from our own audio engineer, Gina Winks. Um, each situation is unique. It is crucial to carefully consider all factors when making these important decisions. What about your family? What, what are your likes and dislikes and so forth? Y'all, Pat's wealth of experience as uh, a previous executive director, a caregiver, and currently a, a senior care advocate provides a wealth of knowledge to draw from. Y'all can listen to this, download this particular episode, share it with someone else over and over and over again. Let's help um, people navigate through all of this. As we wrap up today, I encourage all of you to take time to educate yourselves about senior care options. I want you all to plan ahead, talk to your young people even now, and seek professional advice when needed. Now, if you're looking for assistance, consider reaching out to a reliable senior advisor who can help guide you through this journey, paid or not. Um, remember, informed decisions lead to the best outcome for your loved ones. On a lighter note, y'all know I got to have some fun before I get out of here. Let's also take a moment um, uh, to just really 
glean from the wisdom of Pat and and just understand how much she shared with us. Now, y'all, we cannot bombard her with a million phone calls. So remember, y'all, she's doing this for her living, but it's also a passion of her. So that's just something I just wanted to have a little lighter note there. Don't call her 24-7. No, she has business protocol communication. That's me talking, not her. But once again, Pat, I want to thank you and thank you to our listeners for joining us on this informative and compassionate episode. Pat, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Gail, for having me. I appreciate it. All right, y'all. Y'all know what I say. Stay well, everyone. And remember, make some bold moves. Until next week, we're out. New episodes air on Fridays. Make sure to follow Gail on Instagram, Twitter, and post.news at Gail Dudley. And subscribe to her YouTube, www.youtube.com slash Gail Dudley. Tune in to be informed. And make sure to subscribe to Politics and Prose wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. 